You're listening to Rounding at Rush, a Rush University Medical Center podcast that features the latest clinical advances, research, and innovations. I'm your host, Dan Dean. We're joined today by Dr. Edward Cirullo, Chair of the Department of Urology at Rush University Medical Center. Under his leadership, the team of clinicians within the Department of Urology utilize advanced diagnostics and incorporate the use of minimally invasive treatments for a wide range of urologic conditions, abdominal and pelvic health issues, and men's and women's health conditions. Today, our conversation will focus on the use of Rush's advanced diagnostic and treatment options for prostate cancer. Welcome to the show, Dr. Trullo. Oh, thanks uh, for having me, Dan. Appreciate you. Let's first start with the advanced minimally invasive diagnostic capabilities for prostate cancer used at Rush. And I'm thinking of three specific ones, the BioBot Mona Lisa, Euronav, and Precision Point. Both BioBot Mona Lisa and Euronav use MR and ultrasound imaging for better biopsy navigation, while Precision Point uses transperineal access to aid in more accurate targeting for prostate biopsies. Can you go into some depth about how and when these technologies are used, the ideal patient for them, and how they're an improvement over biopsies that have been done in the past? Yeah, uh, really important question. Prostate cancer, as a little bit of background, is a very infiltrative cancer. So if someone has a lung tumor or a brain tumor or a liver tumor, you can see that on CT scan as a spot, right? Or a shadow or a lesion or whatever the language looks like on the radiology report. And you can actually show a patient that on a CT scan in the, in the office, and, and it makes a lot of sense. Prostate cancer is infiltrative and, and very invisible to CAT scan and even standard MRI. So the way we used to diagnose prostate cancer in men that had elevated PSAs above a screening point based on age was random biopsies of the prostate in a sextant or 12-core biopsy fashion and hoped we hit it, right? That's a blind biopsy, and if you think about it, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but we were doing the best we could. There are areas of the prostate that are not going to get biopsied well, the anterior prostate, because traditionally the, the biopsies were performed through the rectum, and we just didn't know where to place the needle. So there are a significant number of men that might have had clinically worrisome prostate cancer that weren't getting diagnosed, and, and there was a delay in their ability to get treatment. So what MRI has allowed us to do, and, and specifically a multi-parametric MRI, which is dynamic which shows not just the gland in its detail, but also some of the metabolic activity that can highlight prostate cancer with a, depending on what you're reading in the literature, 85 to 90% specificity, which is, which is nice. I mean, that, that, feels, that feels good to be able to know uh, where we should put the needle. So, so once we have that data uh, from a high-powered magnet, and people uh, listening to this should know that the MRI needed to do this kind of specialized testing is a three- Tesla magnet. Most MRIs in the community might be one or one and a half Tesla. So you have to have a three Tesla magnet to be able to really image the prostate gland, which is important. Now we know where to put the needle, but how do we really get it there with any kind of precision? So there's a couple of companies out there that have created some robotic platforms and fusion programs that allow the standard ultrasound and facilitate combining the ultrasound uh, wand images in real time with what the MRI showed. So what happens is the patient comes in that's determined to have a worrisome spot on their prostate uh, and, and needing a biopsy. They get an ultrasound wand traditionally placed in the rectum, 
that takes pictures of the prostate. And that often, and we have a lot of data that's 30 years old now, doesn't identify any worrisome spots or lesions or cancerous things that we would worry about. With the ultrasound in place, the Euronav platform is a computer program that fuses the MRI image and allows you to overlay the ultrasound image so you can see in real time where the needle's going. And you can actually target pretty small lesions, which will facilitate diagnosis. Improving on that are these robotic platforms that then take some of the human element out of it and actually drive the process of needle placement into the lesion by directing which uh, the depth and penetration of the biopsy needle, where it's going to go. We're using at, uh, at Rush the Biobot technology, Euronav, uh, and the precision point is a tool that facilitates depth of uh, penetration. What, what all of these uh, technologies are doing now is, is we're moving forward with uh, transperineal biopsy. So traditionally, as, as you know, the prostate biopsies are done transrectally. There's some risk of infection with that that's real. With these imaging modalities, we can now place the needle directly through the perineum uh, into the prostate. And actually, that can even facilitate better biopsy of those areas I was talking about earlier that were challenging to biopsy, like the anterior prostate uh, and those zones. And then as, as people listening to this know, uh, we additionally do those standard 12 core biopsies in addition because MRI is not perfect. And if we've deemed somebody needing to undergo prostate biopsy, we want to get all the information we can in advance of offering them whatever treatment is most appropriate for that person. So how do you use these technologies to help you figure out which patient does and does not need a biopsy? Specifically, how does the PSA marker factor into the use of those technologies as well? PSA is an is a old tool, originally appeared in the 1980s. It has very poor sensitivity and specificity, and people listening to this know what that means is it's, it's inaccurate. If it's elevated above a cutoff point, a traditionally a unit of four, suggested in the 1990s to be 2.5, and then there's age-adjusted protocols that the PSA can be as high as seven or higher in, in more senior gentlemen uh, based on all of the benign reasons PSA can be elevated. It's, it's wildly imperfect and uh, it has created a lot of controversy. Again, as people listening to this know, with respect to even using it as a screening tool, you can do a little bit of a dive with PSA. You can use PSA kinetics. What does the PSA look like as multiple points in time at three or six or 12 month intervals? And as it increases, does that give us cause to be concerned that its elevation is not due to benign slow prostate growth, but rather you know, something more insidious, like a as yet undetected cancer. So that's an easy one. There's percent free PSA. And there's a couple of other uh, indices like PSA density, which have been combined by some programs into a prostate index score that takes a big algorithmic approach. Uh, also throwing into the algorithm patients possible history of fam in their family of having prostate cancer. And then there's uh, other tools in, the, in this space uh, that look at isomers of PSA, different variants of PSA that might be highly expressed in cancer patients relative to people with PSAs that are above a threshold that are from benign disease. So there's ISO-PSA, which is a new technology, FDA approved, exosome DX, and others. So once we sort of tease out based on patient age, comorbidities, risk factors, PSA kinetics, and any of these other tools who might be worrisome to be suffering from a as yet undetected prostate cancer. My practice, and I think it's, it's best practice, is to th at that point get an MRI. And, that, and that's largely how care is delivered. I would come short of calling it standard of care, but it, it's really there. I mean, that's really best, best practice. And the MRI is not perfect. And if the MRI doesn't show anything, 
there's a 85-ish, 90% chance that there really is no clinically significant cancer there. It's not perfect, but there's an 85, 90% chance that there's no cancer there. If it does show a spot, there's a 90 plus percent chance that that worrisome spot, if if deemed to meet criteria by the radiologist, they give it a PIRED score, uh, prostate imaging radiographic score. If it's four or five, maybe a three, that's worrisome for someone that might have clinically significant prostate cancer. And that's someone that then gets selected for standard biopsy with special attention made with extra core biopsy specimens taken from from those those spots. A negative MRI, non-worrisome PSA kinetics, elderly gentleman, no family history, multiple comorbidities. Maybe maybe that negative MRI uh, makes me feel like they don't really need to undergo an invasive procedure that does carry some risk to it, and then they bear ongoing following. I had a follow-up question for you about something you talked about from the last question, which is the two different biopsy techniques that we use at Rush, the transperineal and the transrectal approaches. Can you do a deeper dive and talk about those in some detail and how they're implemented? Transrectal biopsy has been around for a very long time. The uh, even preceding ultrasound guidance. What happens is the prostate lays right on top of the rectum and using ultrasound tool, all practicing urologists now have, have learned this technique, which is ultrasound wand is in the rectum, imaging the prostate, and then the imaging of the gland allows for size uh, estimation, which gives you tools like PSA density, level of PSA indexed against uh, gland volume, and uh, identification of anything that looks suspicious, although it's not, it's not really been shown that, that those are really predictable findings. But, and then what the ultrasound is really allowing us to do is both anesthetize the prostate and then place the uh, needles in specific locations so as to sample the gland for possible cancer. And then, as I, I said, using MRI fusion in that instance and or robotic technology, place the needle very specifically at, at what could be a very small but clinically significant prostate cancer. What that carries the risk of is hemorrhoidal bleeding from laceration of uh, rectal vessels. And, and really more significantly is uh, sepsis, bacteria in the bloodstream introduced because you're putting a needle through the rectal wall into the prostate in its most indolent form. You know, that's a prostatitis. That's an organ infection, and that can be pretty severe. And it's in its worst form. It's a sepsis requiring an ICU stay, IV antibiotics. And it's not been unheard of that people can die, die from that. So, so that's a real thing. The literature would say that transrectal biopsy may carry a 1% or 2% risk of urosepsis a much smaller risk than that of, of death, but, but it's not zero and that's real. That's one way to biopsy the prostate. Now, transperineal biopsy using the uh, precision point tool, MRI fusion, and a transrectal ultrasound looks a little bit the same, but with the patient positioned uh, in the lithotomy position, the ultrasound wand is put in the rectum to image the prostate, but the needle is passed through the skin, through the perineum, avoiding puncture of a visceral organ and should, and the literature bears this out, reduce the risk of infection and or sepsis substantially to almost uh, zero. So infection rates are a, a fraction of a percent that are significant. And as I said, allows uh, this also allows, because you're not going from the back of the prostate, having to go all the way to the front, you can target the prostate that's above the urethra or the anterior prostate specifically, which there is cancer there that we often miss when we're doing transrectal scheduled biopsies. So let's switch and talk about what Rush does on the treatment side. 
but before we get into the specific procedures, I wanted to ask you about the ProSpace balloon clinical trial that Rush participated in. It closed in 2021. So what is the yeah. ProSpace balloon and what are some of the promises for this technology? So the good news of prostate, about prostate cancer is there's a lot of treatments for prostate cancer. The bad news about prostate cancer is that there's a lot of treatments for prostate cancer. So it's really hard for guys to make an informed decision about like what might be best for them. And as, as surgeons and urologists and radiation oncologists, we try to guide them as to what might be safest and most efficacious. So in the space of external beam radiation therapy for the treatment of prostate cancer, there's a number of ways to deliver that. One is standard treatment, which might be 40 visits to the uh, radiation oncologist over eight weeks for standard radiation dosage to get to the right level of treatment, total radiation exposure to, to kill the gland. There's a new SBRT, which allows for that same amount of radiation to be delivered over a much shorter period of time, sometimes as short as five days. But to deliver that amount of radiation in only five days instead of 40 consecutive days is a much bigger dose per visit which puts uh, the structures around the prostate at a lot of risk for radiation burn, right? Or whatever you want to call it. The bladder can get burned. The rectum can get burned. Skin can get burned. And radiation proctitis is a very difficult problem for patients. It's difficult for them to leave the house. It really impacts their quality of life. So there's a couple of products on the market that allow the urologist in conjunction with the radiation oncologist to put a spacer in the space, denonvase fascia between the prostate and the rectum and create a several centimeter buffer zone that then when the radiation is delivered, whether it's standard dose or very high dose, uh, really protects that rectal wall because there's a lot of wiggle room. So ProSpace Balloon is a dissolvable jelly-filled balloon wall filled with saline that gets placed transperineally in the operating room or occasionally now in the office uh, with ultrasound guidance, not all that dissimilar from biopsy uh, that creates a fairly substantial space between the back of the prostate and the front of the rectum. The balloon is ultimately dissolvable. And after some months, three, four, five months, it should be gone. It's pretty well tolerated by the patients. Sometimes they feel a mass effect in their perineum, like a little something down there. But having participated in the trial with Dr. Wang in radiation oncology and following these patients, I haven't had a lot of folks come back and make a lot of complaints about discomfort. So that was very gratifying. Uh, so it was an honor to participate in that. There is another product we use routinely at Rush called the Space Or, O-A-R, hydrogel product, which is very, very similar. It's, it's introduced in exactly the same way, except it's a, it's a foam that kind of gets injected like you would use for insulating your walls. So it's two separate products that when they mix, make this big foam and actually create the exact same construct. They, they create a centimeter or so distance between the rectal wall and the back of the prostate that gives more buffer room and error proofs the delivery of either stereotactic or just standard external beam radiotherapy. So it was great to participate in that trial. The patients that were on it did great. And now it's really part of our standard practice when appropriate for these gentlemen. We do it in conjunction with the placement of fiducial markers, which I think is uh, an important part of the treatment of prostate cancer when you're using radiation. And those are small non-ferromagnetic pieces of inert metal that get inserted in the prostate. So when the uh, patient comes back day after day after day for radiation for their prostate cancer, uh, gas in the rectum, full bladder, too much pizza the night before, doesn't change by millimeters where the prostate might be. It, it, the prostate can move around a little bit. It's soft tissue. And the computer in, in advance of delivering that radiation beam can then actually target three-dimensionally where the prostate might be. And again, reduces 
what is a very low risk of radiation burn to the bladder or rectum even more. So that's, that's pretty exciting stuff. And I think, I think folks practicing in the prostate cancer space, urologists and radiation oncologists should, should be doing it. So as far as treatments go, surgeons at Rush can perform a single port radical prostatectomy. Who might be a good candidate for this type of procedure? So there's uh, not very much controversy anymore about the utility of using robotic uh, laparoscopic technology for prostate removal. What the robotic technology has allowed is to create a complex operation uh, with respect to cancer control, urinary control afterwards, and erection preservation for men. Uh, and disperse it uh, to urologists everywhere. The robot has amazing visualization. The pneumoperitoneum really decreases the risk of blood loss. Uh, so in my mind, there, there's really no role anymore, except in very rare occasions to be doing standard incision, open radical retropubic prostatectomy. There's a couple of different robot platforms currently, and there's more coming. So there's standard robotic technology, which involves four, five, or six trocar ports. So uh, the robot has three arms and a camera, and then there's an assistant port, and sometimes there's another port uh, to introduce needles and suction and other things. That tool uh, is pretty well established how to do the operation. And I, I would use the language that it's, it's strong. It's got a good angulation. It's got good ability to manipulate the gland, but there's more, there's more holes, right? So there's more, there's more punctures, there's more soreness, and maybe there's more risk of, of bleeding or something else. So single port technology has been around for a few years now. Not every center has it. There's a few centers in the city of Chicago that have it, and Rush is one, which allows for a single moderately sized port where a number of fiber optically controlled little little arms go through the same the same trocar port. And you can picture this. It's a little bit like operating instead of being sort of squared up as a sumo wrestler, you're operating like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. So the little arms are the arms are all kind of pinched in together. The machine is not as strong for uh, tissue manipulation. It's challenging. We have some really outstanding surgeons at Rush that are that are using this. Dr. Alex Chow, uh, and Dr. Andrew Stevenson, and Dr. Sri Varganti uh, have taken on uh, doing this because there's a substantial benefit to the patient to having that one tiny little spot, um, and you can do the operation extra perineally without even getting into the into the abdomen where the intestines are. You can go right down onto the prostate. The patients that might be ideal for this would be patients that don't have very large prostates, not just from cancer, but from benign prostatic growth with age. And patients maybe that don't have locally extensive disease, you know, disease that's growing. Although it's not a, that's not a, a contraindication to using it, but having, having personally used the technology, it, it it creates a little bit more challenge. What's its benefit relative to standard robotics and or open is uh, it's now being done at Rush and really in multiple advanced centers around the country as an outpatient. So patients come in the morning, they get their single port robot prostate, they can go home that afternoon. That's pretty nice for patients and allows a, a freeing up of a lot of resources uh, for the hospital. So it's good. It's a good outcome. One last question for you. I wanted to ask you about there are three different types of treatments that are differentiators for Rush that we can offer that not a lot of other centers in the country can, specifically nanoknife, irreversible electroporation, and partial gland ablation. Can you talk about how those are an improvement or benefit to patients who are being treated for prostate cancer? What we're talking about is, at least in this space, is partial gland treatment or the male lumpectomy. So prostate cancer 
its treatment it requires, if you remove the gland or you radiate it in its entirety, there's uh, comorbidities that result, right? There's risk of urinary control loss. There's risk of erection dysfunction. There's risk of rectal burning. So damage to the whole gland or surgical removal uh, it causes uh, lifestyle problems for the patient. So there's a movement, a long-time movement of, of urologists and surgeons thinking about how do we minimize the morbidity of the treatment, uh, especially when not all the prostate cancers are necessarily even clinically significant. So one way to do that is to treat only part of the gland, uh, right? Just where the cancer shows up on the biopsy and on the, on the MRI. So NanoKnife is a, a radiation platform patient comes in for one, two, or a handful of treatments that targets only after the placement of fiducial markers, only the, only the lesion, uh, leaving the rest of the gland intact. This was originally developed as treatment for brain cancer, uh, glioblastoma, and other intracranial uh, diseases, but it's moved its way to lung and has also been used for kidney and, and prostate. Th this is a, something that should be uh, explored on a clinical trial, but is, uh, is promising. In, in the right patient. There's thermal ablative technologies. So hemigland ablation or just treatment of the cancer with thermal technologies like uh, cryotherapy that's freezing or HIFU or RFA, radiofrequency ablation, which is cooking, right? So you get the tissues hot or you get them very cold and kill those little, those cancer cells, leaving the rest of the gland, the nerves, the urinary sphincter, everything intact. So we're exploring that at Rush with our colleagues in interventional radiology. And then IRE or irreversible uh, electroporation is basically electrocuting the prostate to some degree. <laughs> so there's a couple of uh, probes, uh, not unlike a taser placed into the prostate gland, and it can do the whole gland or just the area where the cancer is. And using electrical pulses actually forces the cell membranes to depolarize, which then allows there to be all kinds of fluid shifts and derangements to their uh, internal processes, and then the cells die. This technology uh, is being used to rush. It's, it's in the clinical uh, protocol stage because it's not FDA approved for prostate cancer, although it's FDA approved for the treatment of any soft tissue disease, so pancreas, kidney, liver, whatever. But we're using it uh, on prostate. And again, the big goal is to limit morbidity to the patient, whether that's surgical risk, whether that's impotence, whether that's incontinence, whether that's failure to treat the whole the, the whole cancer. These are pretty exciting things. And I, I would give Sri Varganti head of this uh, program and has really done a huge amount of work in its development. Well, Dr. Trullo, thank you so much for a great conversation today. Uh, thank you, Dan. This is great. Appreciate you.